everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by Pat Moorhead from uh, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Great to be here. Thanks for uh, more podcast for, third podcast. Can you believe that? More podcasts from Maui again. I don't, I don't know if we can we can't keep up this cadence, but uh, we'll do what we can before uh, now and see. Well, I promise too. you, whenever I'm in Maui, I'll do three podcasts. That's a good trick. I think we need to yeah. we need to think. Anytime about we that. have business meetings in Maui, we guarantee at least three podcast series. So we want to talk about uh, the first episode we talked about. Really, was focused on Windows on Snapdragon, a couple of other side topics. We touched on Snapdragon 845, but that actually came later in the day. Uh, so we wanted to sit and, and discuss what this new SOC was going to be like from Qualcomm, what its importance and value could or, or it could be, right? Uh, and we wanted to walk through kind of what our, what our thoughts were on this device. Yeah, and maybe we can start off, uh, I'd like to start off with what are the fundamental drivers that Qualcomm said were, were important to them? I think the first thing they talked about was cinematic home videos, blending virtual and digital worlds, uh, uh, a new thing they're calling uh, XR, which you probably hit yesterday, which is essentially a conflagration between uh, voice, uh, camera, AI, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Uh, security, uh, globalizing uh, a fiber-like experience, so between one and you know two gigabits. Right. And Very important. finally, uh, battery life. And I mean, to me, it's kind of like motherhood and apple pie. It's hard, it's hard to argue with any of those. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, and I'm sure they're presented that way for a reason, right? <laughs> like, hey, we want to do better camera, better connectivity, better, uh, you know, AR, XR capabilities. Um, but it, it's, it's always interesting to dive down and see what the technologies in the, in the chip actually bring that to life, right? Yeah, and uh, it was Keith uh, Cresson mm-hmm. uh, presenting, and then Keith, uh, which... I've been asking Qualcomm to do for probably seven years now, which is, hey, come out a little bit and start, t- you know, start actually better identifying the work that you do for the industry. Right. And then Keith uh, talked about the different blocks in the 845, and then he talked about, hey, it's not just not just the hardware. We invest almost as much in software and optimizations and drivers and libraries and profilers and OS customizations as we do into the actual hardware itself. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that was, that's important for them uh, to get that message across, particularly in their environment when there's a lot of people questioning their value right. of what they bring uh, to the table. It's, it's been an important part of the, pretty much every presentation they've had is look how much we're doing for everybody Right. Look how much. Look how we drive 4G, 5G. Uh, how much of this would have been possible without us? It takes somebody, and, and I, I agree with the mentality that it takes somebody, a corporate, a corporation that has this kind of aggressive engineering mindset, to have their hand in the hardware, the software, and the infrastructure to really have it all come together. Yeah, and sometimes uh, Qualcomm apologizes uh, for their marketing, but in this environment, when they've got a, a Broadcom corporate raider. Uh, coming yeah. after them, they're being uh, sued and suing their biggest customer, <laughs> Apple, yep. and they're being pursued by three to four agencies around the world. They, th- what they absolutely need is a a clear communication path showing what they do for the industry. Because the fact is, the last five years, every single premium and most of mid-range Android phones on the entire planet right. are powered by the Qualcomm ecosystem. Mm-hmm. 
So what, what do you want to touch on first on the 845 itself? We want to get into the immersion section or that what sounds, makes the most that, sense? That, sound, that sounds great. Yeah, Tim Leland uh, got on stage, kind of did, did his magic uh, here. You know, Tim has expanded his role. He started off with graphics, but then graphics was such a big driver for imaging and the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also uh, AR uh, and VR, they're calling this immersion. And I understand while they're doing that, it it's maybe sounds kind of flowery to the heavy-duty tech folks out there. But, you know, they had to wrap it with something. Yeah, they needed some, some term that categorized graphics, gaming, uh, photography, video, XR, AI is kind of mixed into this, right? right? The DSP is all this. And, and it's actually complicated for them to, to decide even how to break up these discussions because so much of their chip is heterogeneous in how they communicate and operate. Yeah. I think uh, one of the most impactful things that, uh, that Tim talked about, uh, you know, very clear, the quality of the smartphone camera. Mm. And like I've been trying to get Qualcomm to do for years is, hey, talk about the cameras that you power, I know you want to give uh, the phone, the handset manufacturer, all the credit. And they want to take it a right. lot of times. Yeah. Exactly. But, but I was like that they got up and, and said, hey, you know, we're powering uh, the 98 uh, DxO mark. And oh, by the way, on, on the 845, uh, we're expecting it to be 100 plus. Mm-hmm. They, uh, it was earlier in the year where they started talking about the programs where they had pre-qualified certain you know, lenses and sensors and stuff to kind of go with this. And I think that's important for Qualcomm to do, right? Apple has a big advantage in that they control the entirety, the entire vertical of their device, hardware, they software, have to nail all components. One camera, yeah. one piece of software with uh, one uh, camera lens maker and sensor maker. Yep. Whereas Qualcomm has to deal with everybody. And, every, and, and all these partners would want to deal with different sensors, different generations. Um, so it was good to see them kind of take charge a little bit and yeah. say, hey, like, you don't, we're not going to restrict you. You can use other ones, but these are the ones that we've perfected our systems and hardware and software for. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's funny. I would give Apple credit for having the most consistently high camera um, capabilities mm-hmm. and quality year over year, but only now am I sensing where you can actually find a camera that in many ways is actually better than the iPhone. Yeah, I And I think a lot of people were talking a good game before, but now I think they're actually uh, delivering it. And whether it's uh, on the Samsung Galaxy Note, uh, the Pixel uh, and the Pixel 2, mm-hmm. I think it's actually a reality now. And, and what is makes that so amazing to me is uh, that uh, Qualcomm has to work with every single one of these vendors to make this happen. Yep. Now, for the A45, they're, they, they talked about their DxO score going up, but their, their kind of big camera feature is this Ultra HD Premium Capture. So with the A35, they actually had Ultra HD Premium Playback capability, right? So if the, the right screen was integrated, you could play back HDR, uh, essentially con- essential content. Now they're adding the ability to capture that. They went through a, a good discussion about, hey, we've seen pixel count increase dramatically, but we really haven't seen the same improvement in color. And that's coming to all areas of technology from PCs to TVs, you know, now mobile devices, this HD, the idea of HDR and what it means. It's, it is a very confusing time, right? <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of standards, Dolby Vision, HDR10, Ultra HD Premium. Um, but they, they feel like they have gotten it right in that they're, 
the, the new the, the feature in 8, 845 that allows this is this much larger bandwidth that they have from the chip pipeline into it. They can capture much more image quality through that. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really this whole thing about realism, right? It's capturing realism, being able to share and display uh, realism. And I do think that, that can, uh, it, it does matter with consumers. Now, this one's going to be a tricky one because you're going to have to lead the consumer to say, hey, look at this. Mm-hmm. This is uh, ultra, uh, ultra premium HD, uh, not this other thing. And, and we had talked about this earlier about making it very clear on which devices you can play this back on that support it. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it, it'll go right over the heads of consumers who I think are already a little bit um, a little bit confused with HDR10 and Dolby Vision. Yeah, and I actually find this to be the case for anytime you make improvements to cameras, whether it be pictures or videos. Right. So Apple came out with their live. Uh, the live camera shot, right? Yeah. But now suddenly if you were sending that picture to somebody whose phone didn't support it, they didn't get that capability, right? And there was a lot of confusion about, well, how come you didn't see the animation part if you hold it down, right? Well, my, my phone doesn't support that. I'm on an Android device. Right. Right. And so there, there's a similar type of, when once you capture this, what can you play it back on? Anything HDR10 essentially is their answer, right? Any, any device, whether it be a phone or a TV or a Chromecast or what have you, that's, as long as it supports... HDR10, the the data that they have, the, the file that they create will downsample to whatever kind of mid set that they uh, that the display supports. Yeah. So in other words, I, I can play it on HDR10 uh, capable displays today uh, when uh, maybe a new moniker comes out mm-hmm. uh, out there. HDR10 Plus. I'm just making that up. Everybody uh, <laughs> will be able to support this full uh, Rec 2020 HDR capability. Right. Yep. So what else, uh, uh, some other things uh, Tim talked about, and it's, it's interesting, he didn't necessarily jump right into games, Mm-mm. but because, uh, you know, games are so passe, right? Let's not it, talk about It felt that. that way. In fact, I don't know if they talked about gaming really at all, right? And, and, and I would say what, what was interesting to me about the presentation was all experience-based. It was all here is a cool new feature that we're going to enable with this device, which I think is what they should do. Right, it makes sense, but they only like performance-wise. They said, "Hey, we're going to be thirty percent more performance um, at thirty. By the way, the demo, which I did think was really good. Right, they did a graphics bench benchmark mm. showing the difference between eight thirty-five and eight forty-five, and when the benchmark was running, it had an average uh, power. And not only did it get a thirty percent better score, uh, don't know exactly which version of graphics bench they were yeah, running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but at thirty percent less power. Right, and if you think about that, that's that's probably well. I would say their biggest performance bump uh, is on AI, but it's it's hard to measure. Quantify, yeah. right? But this will be very quantifiable. So mm-hmm. I think a thirty percent in graphics performance at thirty percent less power uh, is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. They uh, added support for things like foveated rendering. Right, which is the ability to, if you have eye tracking capability yeah. built into this device, obviously now we're talking about a, a head-mounted display um, where it will you know, render the areas that you're focusing at in higher detail, the areas outside of that. And one of the things that's interesting that they didn't really touch on was that because 
the Adreno architecture is a tile-based renderer, it's very easy for them to decide where to break up the data. When you're on a, like a desktop GPU, it's, right. it's actually a complicated discussion about how do you break up the data because you're used to doing it all in one pass. See, the, 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 I love the concept of foveation, but you still need a high-quality display goggles that you're looking at, yeah. right? Otherwise... You know, it it almost doesn't make a difference. I, I think the biggest boon for foveation is going to be on uh, lower end devices who could never do mm. VR before without it, um, because otherwise, you you know, unfortunately, we don't have foveated uh, displays nope. that, that only make make the resolution uh, high where you're actually looking at. True, true. Can you work on that with with some people? I'll try to do that. Brian? Yeah, we All could right. do that. Awesome. Um, you know, they, they, there's some other stuff in there about the uh, uh, single pass for VR, single pass geometry rendering and stuff. Something that we have seen on desktop GPUs is now coming to mobile. This is a big improvement for efficiency, power efficiency, obviously back to what we talked about, and support for, you know, uh, slam, sixed off, however you want to get into the VR nomenclature there. Um, it's basically more processing power for all of these different types of things. And then, you know, we didn't even touch on stuff like, uh, uh, the motion computational motion capture, right, and noise reduction, um, the depth-based face recognition, right. Obviously, this is right. something that is topical as well. With with Apple having released their their Face ID tech, um, but Qualcomm has been working on that. We saw demos of that late summer. Yeah. I well, guess what I love about when when Qualcomm brings some of these capabilities out, and I you know all use the overused word democratization, but you know when it comes out with Qualcomm on the high end, uh, over time, you're going to see this come out in everybody's phone, mm-hmm. right? And and that's where this whole depth-based face recognition uh, will come into play that I've enjoyed on the iPhone 10. You know, it, it's it's my hit rate at night isn't good, yeah, uh, but it's just going to get better. Agreed. And, and I think... Um Qualcomm, the, the, the disadvantage for Qualcomm is that they don't make the device, right? So if they if they could, this some of this technology might already be shipping, but they they have they work with partners, so they have to be on their their development cadences and stuff. Um, but it's possible that you know what the, the the processing capabilities that they have in eight forty five give them some kind of advantage in that yeah. as well. But we'll have to see once it's actually implemented in a device to know for sure. Hey, I want to hit on something. Um, I saw a few snarky tweets yeah. uh, after. Uh, after Tim talked about the notion of uh, XR, right? We have mixed reality, we have merged reality, we have augmented reality, we have, um, I'm sure I'm missing about 10, 10 more. Yeah. But I saw some snarky tweets about, oh, great, yet another definition that we have, have to get, get used to. Well, what are your thoughts on, on uh, not on the feature set of XR, mm-hmm. we may have bumped on that, but the whole notion of having a new term, um, I feel like we have a lot of terms. You know, so virtual first was virtual reality, augmented reality. I think Microsoft is the one who uses mixed reality, right? Um, I think uh, Intel is merged. Merged reality. Okay, sure. Um, I, I think there is benefit to a uh, way to describe a product or an application that works in this environment that is not just visual, but is also audio and interaction. Right. So I think, I think the, the, the diff, the key difference here is kind of, you know, their work with, uh, uh, who's the, what's the company that's doing the, the, the hand recognition on the fly on their head units. OGD. 
Uh, yeah, they're doing some of that too, but it's um, Leap Motion, okay, right, where they they can track your fingers. And I did one of those demos, and that was yeah. really cool. And that that felt like a step forward beyond virtual reality or yeah. augmented reality. Well, the interesting thing is, if you go back to the first presentations from Oculus as CTO, that's that's the way he defined virtual reality, mm. which is. Uh, and they went through all the senses from smell to touch to hearing uh, to motion and all these things. And I think the industry kind of bastardizes. So, you know, on one hand, uh, having yet another term uh, might be negative. I think Qualcomm had to do it to at least uh, explain to people that this is different from what you probably know is VR. Right. Yeah. And, and I think they have the clout and the partnerships to maybe make that term catch on. Yeah, they do. Well. They, they, you don't want to do this as a small company, do you? No, no. <laughs> Try to not. drive your, your industry standard uh, a term uh, uh, forward. Do we want to dive into the AI discussion? Yeah, it sounds, sounds good. You know, one of the, the most interesting steps that Qualcomm took is, is unlike, let's say, Huawei uh, with their Kirin uh, processor, and, and Apple, uh, they, they are not per se saying, hey, we have one dedicated neural network block mm-hmm. uh, or an NPU on the SOC. Uh, it's we're going to leverage uh, a math matrix engine that's already there, uh, which is the, D- the Hexagon DSP right. uh, with cryo CPU and the Adreno uh, graphics. And I think that's, that to me is really interesting. They, they went into some significant depth about their software that they built around this, right? Because at the end of the day, for, for an AI application to function, all you really care about is what are, what are my APIs, right? You, right. You, you, chances are you're not going to John Carmack this and code down to the hardware assembly level, right? <laughs> you want an API that's going to make things easy, but you want it to be high performance. Yeah. And so Qualcomm has developed these APIs that they've, they've done a lot of measurements, what algorithms work best on what chip, you know how how do they mix the use of hexagon adreno and cryo for to find the best balance of things and you know they also said many times during this presentation that this was their third generation of these compute engines right what they did not do was create some marketing name to kind of wrap around right they didn't create an npu they said like we've we've been doing vector processing on these dsps for a long time and on the gpu to yeah. some degree Right, so it's it was interesting to see them not really address the fact that that Huawei has come out with its right. specific neural net processor, that Apple has come out with their specific neural processing engines, right, in, in the SOC, but instead say uh, attempt the the in indication that we've been doing this for longer than they have. We just didn't call it that. Yeah, in yet. lieu of having a, a name, uh, they're going to have to have a way to measure. Uh, the benefit of it, right? Which is really hard. Because, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough world out there with reviewers, as you may know, uh, Ryan. But uh, if, it, if you can't measure it, it, it didn't happen. Yeah, th- there's – and the, the problem is that there's, there's no well-defined endpoint yet. We don't know – what the conclusion to all this is supposed to be. Right. right? And so it's hard to, with, with gaming and graphics, you know what it is. You're going to play a game. That's right. right. You're going to measure the frame rate. You're going to see what the latency is on your input. But for AI, everything is so in flux that it's impossible to measure that thing. And I had a good discussion with Tim last night about, you know, 
sometimes a, a dedicated piece of hardware is not always the best move, especially if the algorithms are changing, the workloads are changing, and you because once you build a piece of hardware specifically for how things work today, if they shift tomorrow, you're not as flexible yeah. anymore. Well, what I'm really interested in seeing is the scalability of this. So if if AI performance is like a rheostat, you know, can I go up to eleven? Uh, on this, and, and what does eleven look like? Yeah. Um, as opposed to with it with a fixed block, you're fixed, yep. right? The only thing you can modify then is the software uh, to 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 move uh, to move up and down. Yeah, I, I think they they showed enough of uh, like well today they showed a lot of partnerships on the AI and compute side with with uh, uh, Microsoft and Google, um, and you know they have it's one of those things where. NVIDIA had a great GPU for compute before they even knew they did, right? Because they had built this this massively parallel part. Qualcomm has done that, right? Adreno and the DSP are meant for massive parallel compute, vector compute. And as the workloads have changed, as we've gone from strictly gaming and strictly from like audio and video processing into something that uses AI, they have been able to adapt their architecture and maintain high performance, high efficiency, uh, and, and still be incredibly competitive in this space. And I think until we get some, some kind of benchmarks about like, hey, what does, what does this NPU on this high silicon really do? What does this really do on Apple versus what does it do on something like Snapdragon 845? It's hard to make any any clear determinations. Yeah, I have to tell you, Ryan, I think we are headed into a danger zone here with, without having these, these benchmarks out now, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, this, I think if people who invest a lot of money into doing this also don't create the ways to measure this, yep. I think it's going to be hard for them to get credit for all the work that, that they actually did. And, it's, and it's, it would be super easy for any company to say they've created a dedicated block for uh, you know, neural network processing and literally never use it. It could be dark silicon on a chip that has no code that's firing through it, but they get credit for having created this thing. Right? Is it really accelerating it? Is it accelerating it more than they could do on a CPU or GPU or some other combination like Snapdragon has done? And I just don't know the answer to that yet. All right. Maybe we uh, dive into security uh, at this point. Okay. What uh, they brought out a new security processing uh, unit. I think uh, they called it the SPU. Yep. And uh, one of the things that I was really thinking about is, hey, w- what makes this different from from what they had done before, right? So you also you all you already have Trust Zone, mm-hmm. and there's the separation between the operating system, uh, the booting environment. I view this as one extra layer of defense that you can run specialized applications in mm-hmm. to make it even more secure. That's my simple take on this. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you here. I don't, I, what I don't know is how much different this is than what they had before. They, they, they did this really good analogy, I think, of, of the bank. Yes. Right, where they where they broke down like here's the different sections and these are the different segments that we have on the on the SOC and, and how they operate. What I don't know is they didn't really compare this to anything that the com- competition is doing. So how does this compare to like the Apple Secure Enclave or something? Well, like and that? the other thing I was expecting was this enables a new type of transaction that uh, was never allowed before, and I was I was expecting that. Okay. So, for right. instance, some sort of a certification 
that a device like this uh, had never received before, mm-hmm. and, and I just uh, I just didn't see this. No, I it, think I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to have to do more uh, drilled in on this one. Same here, because what, what it looks like to me is it's you know they talk about better security for your biometrics, you know your fingerprints, iris, voice, face. Um, putting the higher value assets into these different segments of it. it this, this sounds very familiar to me, having followed what Apple did with, with Touch ID into Face ID, right? And, and, it, and if that's what it is, if they're trying to push Android, the Android ecosystem into that same security level, I think that's fantastic. But it's a totally different thing when you don't control the operating system. And well, it's the thing with work. Apple was, you know, they've always had this secure enclave ever since they, they had Touch ID. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, according to Apple, uh, even face biometrics is going into the same secure enclave. Right. So, uh, hey, this is the great thing for analysts, uh, kind of having to uh, pe- peel peel the onion back on this thing and, yep. and do a little bit more work on it. But, hey, let's go. Maybe we can uh, get into uh, what Qualcomm is absolutely known for, uh, and that's that's connectivity. Uh, Peter Carson uh, got up there and talked about the new integrated X20 uh, Snapdragon uh, modem. Right. And, and, and not only is it an increase in peak performance at 1.2 gigabit per second, um, 20% uh, better than the prior modem, but also improves carrier coverage um, on gigabit LTE, going from about 50% coverage to uh, about 90% coverage. And I think that's probably the most important part, right? So obviously you get the, you get the big number increase from gigabit to 1.2 gigabit, but there are plenty of people out there that continue to complain that Gigabit LTE doesn't mean anything because nobody gets gigabit speeds, right? So the continued push of this, is this the gigahertz race where it doesn't really matter? Um, but I think both you and I agree that I, I have never, I have in a, in a real world environment, I have not gotten a gigabit LTE speed uh, test run through on my machine. But the, the, it's the secondary benefits that seem more important, right? Like the, the expansion of your connectivity, the ability to have 4x4 MIMO on uh, both the uh, antenna as well as on your device, right? Uh, giving you better just signal strength inside buildings or in low coverage areas. Um, but yeah, the, in addition to the, to the uh, carrier benefits where they could put uh, more people on the same channels at the same time and get better efficiency, which ends up being less expensive yeah. for them because they can modify price, they can modify discounts, they can they have a lot more flexibility for for their business model. And an interesting conversation I had where uh, there is a carrier who is is charging less for phone service with uh, data service with Qualcomm based modems oh, really? than other people's modems. Huh. For the simple fact they can fit more people on their network with, uh, with a Qualcomm modem. It makes sense because when I, I did note uh, one of the things I noticed when the iPhone 8 and 10 were launching was that there were a couple of regions that had previously used Intel modems that requested Qualcomm modems be used in the models sold in their regions. And it probably makes sense for that. Same Interesting. And, and I think if the greatest example of what not to do is what Verizon did, who uh, you know, they were late uh, with, uh, with their next generation network, and you saw the average speeds plummet yep. when they did all-you-can-eat uh, versus T-Mobile, who went up. Sprint actually got faster, mm-hmm. um, and Verizon uh, and, and I believe AT and T actually actually went down. 
You mentioned flexibility. They do have like uh, uh, increased spectrum flexibility with this one as well. They've added three new configs for the 1.2 gigabit X20 modem. And uh, you may were mentioning earlier about it going into the 10 megahertz. Yeah, and that's space. one of the biggest one of the biggest bumps here is that flexibility, which just radically changes the amount of carriers who who can actually uh, deploy uh, gigabit uh, LTE. Yeah, that's that that's going to be good, and I welcome it to come to uh, my areas as well. You know, do uh, dual SIM, dual Volte support. They ta- the A forty five also has multi gigabit. You know, the eight eight hundred eleven AD integrated on there, which is good. Um, but yeah, I, I think th- it's one of the areas that's underappreciated, and I actually kind of felt like there wasn't as m- enough of a talk of that benefit of connectivity for 845 as there should have been. Right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I feel like, uh, you know, at most Qualcomm events, you know, you're beaten over the head with, uh, with communication stuff. I, I, I feel like that has soaked in, and I also feel like people already give Qualcomm the benefit of the doubt on that they lead in, in, in connectivity. So I was happy to see a lot of the other stuff uh, discussed here. I mean, they're going to go in with a pretty much a year-plus advantage on, on the first phones that will be at 1.2. Ironically, the horse race is going to be between uh, Huawei and, um, and Qualcomm. Sure. Oh, oh, one other thing on the wireless stuff. They did implement advanced Bluetooth. Uh, they called Qualcomm True Wireless, which is now you have the ability to broadcast to multiple wireless speakers, Bluetooth speakers from the device without having to have some kind of a gateway or you know whole home system that is integrated. That actually is really cool. Offers a lot of flexibility. Well, it's going to make wireless earbuds so much easier, yeah. right? As opposed to right now. Uh, you actually have to, you know, you have to have a primary earbud, which then connects to a secondary earbud. I've noticed that on my <laughs> on my wireless, where every once in a while they go out of phase, right, on on either side. Uh, and the idea here is now the Snapdragon 845 will be able to support sending the left channel to your left, right channel to your right, and it actually saves a lot on power too. They claim up to 50% lower power consumption because those Bluetooth devices aren't responsible for communicating to each other, only back to. Yeah. The phone itself. Yeah, I know we're uh, uh, running short on time here. Uh, um, how maybe if we wrap all, all this up, all this goodness up here, how how is this going to be measured? Right? Let's say let's just pretend here. Phones will be out uh, announced at Mobile World Congress maybe before, mm-hmm. and, and we'll have phones out there. How do you think reviewers are reviewers going to have to create new ways to evaluate? Uh, the phone, or are you expecting, you know, magically these new uh, new benchmarks will pop up from people like Graphics Bench, and you know, we'll have an AI bench. Yeah, the, the I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think we're going to see a sudden resurgence. That we may over time see these benchmarks kind of evolve and the in these testing methodologies evolve. Uh, I think Qualcomm's mm. still in a tough spot because when it comes to CPU benchmarks and GPU benchmarks. They're going to fall behind Apple. Yeah, I mean, Apple the super, has supersized their CPUs. Yeah, and and clearly, well, I don't want to say clearly, but I'm assuming, based on the fact that we didn't see any benchmarks, like in these presentations, there were no benchmark graphs. There was no comparisons to uh, Apple uh, or Samsung or anybody else, right? No, no other SOC vendors. My assumption is that they remain in the same state, that they're still going to be behind 
where uh, you know the A11X or A11 from from Apple is. So they have to be cognizant of that, and that's why they're telling stories about here's what you can capture, here's what you can do, here's how the connectivity comes into place, um, here's how our ecosystem is working around things that one player can't probably do on their own. Uh, so I think I, I think in lieu of let's say you know barnstorming traditional benchmarks, uh, the uh, I think that the the handset makers do need to clearly point out these are the black and white demonstrable things you can do on your 845 phone, which is going to be their premium line versus uh, the, the the 835. And I know some benchmarkers will will uh, create their own mm-hmm. type of scripts. Uh, to be able to, to to do these things, maybe they will, maybe they don't. It's it's a hell of a lot of work. Sure, but I really would like to see somebody come out with, uh, in particular, the best way to do neural network inference. Mm-hmm. And let's say you pick one framework, right? J- just go with one, right? right? And 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 tell me uh, the benefit of this. We I've done a lot of research, consumer research on performance benchmarks over the last. 20 years, 25 years, and they, they all come back and say the same thing, regardless of what, um, what year I've done it. And that was people, there are people who want something simple uh, and uh, a number. Mm-hmm. There are other people who want to see experiential. Uh, and because they're influenced by different groups, you kind of have to show up with the three levels, all the gory details, uh, a more experiential based uh, piece, and then the you know the one number that says uh, how this thing is. Yeah, and that, and that's tough to do, uh, especially because you know the the platforms are very different, right? I think I think where we're going to be for for all of 2018 is there's the iPhone, and then there's what is the best Android phone, right? And the the direct comparisons between them is, are going to continue to be very difficult to do, and we didn't even you know really talk about. The, the CPU side, they did. They have some moderate changes there, um, uh, where uh, they they went with a. You know, Travis was on stage and talked about it's an octa core system. It's a little bit different. You know, there there it is a uh, Cortex A seventy five and A fifty five based. They're going to have dedicated L two per core, which is brand new for them. That's right. They're going to have an L three shared amongst all of the eight cores, which is new for them, and also that there is a system cache, a three-meg system cache that sits off to the side that all these uh, SOC blocks will be able to use to communicate. i tell you, that's, for heterogeneous computing, that, that we'll call it an L4. Right, uh, yeah. I, I'm really excited to see what that does, because funny, it kind of harkens back to AMD's driven uh, HSA. Uh, that is the vision uh, of what that thing is, right. where everything gets access to some pool of memory, mm-hmm. and you're not losing all that time and latency and also all that power by copying back and forth the system memory. Right. And they had similar you know, uh, performance increase claims on for Cryo 385 as they did on Adreno, right? Up to 25, 30% performance uplift. Um, for the performance cores, fifteen percent on the for the for the low efficient or the high efficiency cores, if you will, uh, and all in the same process tech. Right? right. So again, all architectural improvements, all ground up type type stuff. These are not fully custom cores. These are still 
the um, powered by ARM semi-custom. So it's not architecture-based, and it's not just off the shelf. They did some tweaks. Uh, but they, as, as is normally the case, they don't go into a lot of detail of what those tweaks are and how they're differentiating from you know, what any other SOC vendor would get from ARM. Yeah, you know, that, that gets me thinking, okay, how, how, how big is the die? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning, did they increase? Uh, if it's the same process, did they increase it, or did they make more efficient use of it? Right. That's the the first thing that that, that hits to mind because you can throw silicon at just about anything. Uh, add, yeah. Add more add, add more gates out there. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think you know Qualcomm's an inter- interesting spot because they have to sell this to customers. Apple can build an unlimited size die if they want to because they know who's going to buy That's right. their part. Um, but Qualcomm has to be a little bit smarter with this. But uh, I think overall, they, they've made a lot of claims now about how this device, the Snapdragon 845, will improve smartphones and then AR, XR, and other devices going forward. Um, we need to see devices that integrate it. And that's kind of always been the problem. It's been the problem for Qualcomm for a long time is how many of your partners are going to integrate all of these features uh, and, and actually make the flagship-style device that they are promoting and, and, and making a case for. Same yeah. things happen to Intel, right? Sometimes people don't implement the features you want. And if you're, if you're the silicon provider, you're kind of at partner's end there. It's tough. You know, I was an OEM for a decade, right? And um, not on the phone side, but on the PC side. And sometimes when things hit you so quickly, you just don't have the manpower to be able to to execute um, execute all these uh, capabilities. And that's that's where this platform play that you know, in a way, Qualcomm can can put some of these features on a silver platter that li- limit the amount of work yeah. that the OEM actually right. uh, actually has to do. Yep. Yep. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I think we'll see devices. At least by Mobile World Congress, if right. not before. Um, it, what the Qualcomm has said, what, first half of 2018? That's right. So, yeah. Now, then we see these in Windows devices, too. It is. You it's know, it, 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 to Windows it, devices. It, Qualcomm's in a little bit of a peculiar situation in, in launching the always-connected PC with the 835 mm-hmm. uh, with, and then the 845 uh, coming out. I... I don't know if that's going to matter in the end to the people they're targeting on buying these things. Not, I, don't, I would say not at first. But I think there, it would have given maybe kind of a – it would have been one less objection they, they, they had to overcome. And I'm thinking uh, where the PC really needs the performance on Qualcomm's always connected PC is on integer – that got right. increased in their big core by 30%. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it makes sense. They will eventually get to a point where they release the smartphone version and the Windows version of their Snapdragon devices in cadence, right, in time with each other. Um, but, you know, I think there was probably a, an enough of a ramp up working with Microsoft and these OEMs and getting things that they needed to, to put a stake in the ground and say, okay, this is the platform we're using. Let's make sure everything works. Yeah, there was As opposed a, to a last-minute switch to 845. Yeah, there was an excellent question that came out of the audience on that yesterday. And maybe you asked this. I'm not too sure on. On what cadence do you want to be on? Hmm. Because if you're in the PC industry, you want to be rocking and rolling uh, right before back to school right? Right. with high confidence. But you want to have your best... Uh, devices in the channel for for the Western holidays, so for Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, stuff like that. Where, whereas uh, this will be out uh, with high confidence, right? 
high confidence for back to school, but still you're you're gonna you're gonna ride uh, that silicon a long time to get yeah. back to school. And I do think that Qualcomm's always connected to PC. Uh, I, I see students as should be one of their prime mm-hmm. uh, target markets. We did a body of research over the summer that literally said uh, students' number one unmet uh, computing need is always connected. Hmm. It was fascinating because I, I completely did not expect that. Yeah. And it's because the on-campus Wi-Fi sucks. I think most locations Wi-Fi sucks, <laughs> to be honest with you, right? Whether it be coffee shop, conference room, hotel, product, all of that pro- Product announcements. Product announcement ballrooms. Yes. You know, all those types of things. Buy a, buy a, buy a wireless <laughs> company. <laughs> yeah. You know, hey. It hits everybody. So... I think that's good. I think we'll see more what happens with 845 in the, in the coming weeks and months, and um, I guess that's good. That's where, good. Where can people find you at if they want to hear more of you or listen to more, uh, read more Probably of you? the easiest way uh, to find me is on Twitter at, at Patrick Moorhead. And again, I'm principal analyst at uh, More Insights and Strategy. Yep. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Shrout, uh, and all the same stuff applies. So uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.